Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Brett Schwartz. Brett was originally an, an episode GI-135. He's a commercial multifamily broker in Sacramento, California, and a capital gains tax deferral expert, specializing in deferred sales trusts, DSTs, but also very experienced using Delaware Statutory Trust and 1031 exchanges. So thanks so much for coming on the show today, Brett. Charles, a pleasure to be back on the show with you. Great to see you again. So um, give us a little background briefly. So if people haven't heard our previous episode uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, about where, how you got involved with, uh, well, before you got involved in doing your tax strategies and involved in commercial real estate. Yeah, it all starts in real estate in general. Growing up in the Bay Area, development rentals, cash flow, uh, property, Silicon Valley, California, and this is the 80s and 90s with my parents, so learning kind of the entrepreneurial journey. Had a chance to fast forward. I'm in college, and I was playing basketball, and I was also looking for my next career. And that's where I took an internship at a company called Marcus and Melichap, where we learned how to underwrite and broker multifamily investment properties, 1031 exchanges. This is 2006, and things were going great, and I think it was really exciting. <laughs> And the market fell apart. And I don't know if you've ever been so scared, Charles, you're not sure how you're going to provide for your family. Well, that's where I found myself with literally making like next to zero because it's a hundred percent commission sink or swim opportunity and the market fell apart. And so I did whatever good real estate or entrepreneur wannabe does. You get a side hustle. My side hustle was Cheesecake Factory. So I did that for two years. So nights and weekends at a cheesecake by day, I'd make cold calls to banks, <laughs> to investors clients and help them hold on to their properties or reposition their properties, just make sense of that whole world. And they were losing half or everything. And that was the really painful part. I was going through financial struggles, which kind of starting out my wife and baby, uh, my wife at the time, uh, my wife still, and the new baby at the time, it was really difficult. We live with my brother doing a small condo, but they were going through a financial struggles with millions and losing half or everything they worked for 10, 20, 30 years for, because mm. honestly, they had too much debt, not enough liquidity. Mm. And they had overpaid for properties via 1031 exchange when they uh, didn't know otherwise. They thought that was really the only way to defer that tax was to, the, to do the 1031. So uh, during this time period, I learned about something called a deferred sales trust. Um, my mentor and guide kind of came around during that time and, and it, I never really looked back. I mean, it took a while to get this thing going and get people to understand what it is and how it works. 
Um, but now we just help people close these on, you know, every week uh, across the country and, and also help them sort out issues, you know, challenges that they might want to do some other, you know, Delaware statutory trust, or they might want to do uh, opportunity zones. I uh, might we do some cost seg with some bonus depreciation. We just help them make sense of this stuff, but oftentimes it's the deferred sales trust because it's just so flexible and it, it can provide such uh, amazing outcomes for people. Awesome. Yeah. Flexibility is one of the big things I love about the DST, but uh, for people that don't know about the DST, can you explain a little bit more about what a deferred sales trust is? Yep. First of all, deferred sales trust is not a 1031 exchange and it's not a Delaware statutory trust. Our minds see DST and we think, oh, we already know about that. It's <laughs> called a Delaware statutory trust. That's just a really a Delaware 1031 where you're just, you know, uh, if you do a Delaware 1031, you're just moving it in with a syndicator or an operator or a big group. You, it, 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 they have their place and there's, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some cool things about it. Ours is a deferred sales trust. We're like the entrepreneurial, flexible, nimble version of, of tax deferral. Now it's using something called 453 um, of the IRS tax code, which is an installment sale where you can lend to the trust, what would have been owed to you at the close of escrow and then slowly uh, receive payments back over time. So you're changing from an ownership to a lender. And by changing or exchanging what you would have received, you're in a tax deferral state for a period of time. Now, most of our clients structure these notes at a 10-year promissory note with an 8% payout, typically starting in year one or two, um, but they might delay it for a couple of years too as well. And in the meantime, these investments can be put into stocks, bonds, mutual funds, passive or active real estate, real estate developments, cryptocurrency. In other words, they can diversify but the best part is it's optimal timing. You can dollar cost average. You don't have to rush into deals. You don't have to do uh, any debt replacement. Um, you don't have to um, uh, uh, do any just like kind replacement. It can be yeah. diversified. It could be liquid. It could be, you know, really get your powder dry because to me, that's what we want to do right now. Get our powder dry, get prepared because we believe opportunities are coming. So say I'm uh, selling an asset and I'm going to realize half a million dollars worth of capital gains and say it's uh, you know cryptocurrency. How does the DST process work if I want to move that money now into real estate, active or passive? Mm -hmm. Well, it depends. First of all, we need to set up the trust. And I'll tell you a couple of deal stories we did with some cryptocurrency. We work with Kraken. Kraken is the one it, mm -hmm. that um, we have developed a relationship with where we can open up accounts in the name of the trust. And then what happens, one of our clients, they had 50,000 of Bitcoin and went to 50 million before the crash oh, wow. at 54,000 a coin. She, she transferred 5 million into the trust account at Kraken in exchange for a promissory note. And then from Kraken, they sold it to cash. And then we moved it to a, a, a US bank account. And then from there... Uh, she actually opened up an LLC, partnered with the trust and invested it into a business venture. That business venture happened to be like a tech startup, but it could have easily have just been a, a real mm -hmm. estate development opportunity. So that's kind of the this, this simple, simple, um, you know, uh, story of it. Um, but the idea is any asset that you're selling, you can exchange it for a promissory note. Now, once, once you've done that and you've sold it to cash to the ultimate buyer, now that cash can really go into just about anything and including investment, real estate. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, like when we've, we've had people on talk about the 1031 before, and it's the amount of hurdles that you have to jump to get it and you have to buy it. And, you know, it just, it doesn't give you much flexibility at all. And uh, it's just something that I see people struggle with and they're nervous and they have to identify stuff. And 
for certain, like you said, there's a place and a time for it. But I think for most of the time, the DST works best. Uh, for people that are in that 1031 or have been or worried about it and say it fails, how can the DST, how can they start employing uh, a DST for their failed 1031? Great question. So it all depends on the team and the accommodator which you're working with. And so our team works with accommodators that actually provide this as a backup plan in case their mm -hmm. 1031 fails or is failing. And so it's, it's A, it's all about the team and it's all about the accommodator. And guess what, Charles? Unfortunately, most accommodators don't want you to know about this mm -hmm. or they don't even really know about it or they don't really want to know about it because guess what? Anything that doesn't end in 10 or 31, <laughs> they're not interested in, right? Because yeah. they want to keep you in the 1031 race. And I get it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a multifamily broker, started at Marcus and Millichap, and I still do 1031s with clients. And that's the way we get paid. So to be honest, it's, it's kind of just what it is. So, um, but there are accommodators who will give you all, all, all options with a uh, qualified intermediary to do a deferred sales trust, a Delaware statutory trust, or a 1031 exchange traditional one. So that's the first thing. Make sure you have the team in place. Um, but simply, once you have the language inside of an exchange agreement, then you can do what's called defeasance. Essentially, what it means is you're going to trade your position of receiving that cash for a promissory note. So it's just an extra pit stop while it's there. And uh, yeah, we do these all the time. And, it, and if you've done correctly and with the proper team and everything in place, it works. Now we're talking about like um, selling traditional assets, I guess you'd say almost uh, real estate, even crypto. I mean, the if someone's selling a business, uh, how can you give some examples of how someone selling a business? Because I've heard this before at a meetup like last week, and someone was talking about selling a business and want to invest in the real estate. And obviously, that's you can't do that with a 1031. Um, but I imagine, how have you structured that previously with people with the DST? Yeah. So again, the 1031 is like blockbuster because it does not allow unlike kind replacement. Mm -hmm. So what Charles is referring to is if someone is selling a business interest, you cannot roll that into an investment real estate interest. In fact, blockbuster 1031 and Delaware 1031 only works for investment real estate, whereas the deferred sales trust is like Netflix because it works for investment real estate, works for business sales, cryptocurrency, stock, carried interest, captive insurance, LP positions, GP positions, primary home sales, okay? So upon the exit of the asset being the business, let's just say, in fact, I'll do an actual deal. We just helped a client out of Florida. She's selling an $8 million healthcare company and she wants to invest in real estate, a lot of it. So instead of taking all $8 million at closing, she assigned her interest in the business, the ownership, to this newly formed trust in exchange for a promissory note that owes her the $8 million. Now, she's going to receive $8 million over the next two, three years. So these are slow earnouts. So her initial payment actually was only $500,000 that went into the trust. And then she'll slowly receive payments out. So that five hundred dollars hits the account. And she gets a promissory note for five hundred. dollars and then she's slowly, uh, and then immediately it can go into a number of different ways. It can go into the stock market. It can also go into lending. It's basically like having it into like a self-directed IRA at this point, mm -hmm. right? And then you might say, well, I want to put a little bit into Charles's passive multifamily opportunity over here. I want to do my own deal, right? So depending if you want to be active or passive, um, if you're active, you want to, you, you can go through an LLC. If you're passive, the trust can go directly into a deal, but there's no carve out. There's no TIC. There's no 1031 rules. So that's the beauty. We're, we're completely kind of free and flexible at that point. Yeah. So just one thing, uh, Brett went over there is a TIC, which is tenants in common. And this is if, um, if anybody, I spoke to someone yesterday about this. So tenants in common, if they're going 1031 into a 
syndicated deal, they can't just get passive shares. They have to actually be whatever that entity was, has to be an owner of it, the property, a partial owner, right? With the rest of the syndicate. And it's it's quite the it's quite the paperwork that has to be done. And it's a lot of it's a lot of work, um, especially as a syndicator and especially as a person with a 1031. So it, that's what Brett's talking about there is that it's not as simple as, oh, I got a half million dollars and now I can put a half million dollars into this passive deal. Um, but I want to, one thing about it is the trust. So setting up the trust, it understand, it makes perfect sense about um, your client there in Florida with the $8 million and a half million, then, and then she can do whatever she wants with it at a time. As, as the money comes in, she gets the promissory note. The trust, now, how is that set up in the sense of your, your company's controlling that? Is that how that works? Great question. Yeah. So it's a third-party unrelated trustee. Mm-hmm that helps to to manage the trust and has the really the majority control if you will over the trust however the note holder um you know has indirect control just like or very similar to if they sent the funds to a qualified intermediary the difference is the qualified intermediary you're giving it up for 45 or 180 days right mm-hmm. um nothing moves without your approval to the next property the same thing happens here none of the investments are made without your approval and so as a trustee, I've got to approve. And then as the note holder, the, the creditor, the client, they have to approve of the movement of the funds as well. So it's really, it's, it's a team effort mm-hmm. to basically say, okay, this trust you don't own, the money is owed to you. But um, as a creditor, the lender, you have to approve of the investments to make to, to, to the best we can to be able to pay you back plus a rate of return. So it's a team effort. And, uh, but yeah, it's definitely not ownership, right? It's definitely not unilateral control because if it were, it would be taxable, right? It'd be constructive mm-hmm. receipt. So we make sure we just yep. follow those rules, um, not, not unlike a, a qualified intermediary would. Okay. The now, if once they have it into the trust, they can then direct it into whatever kind of uh, asset they want, like you said. And at that point, how many years does this go for? And at the end of that, when it sunsets, if it does it at all, is it taxable at that point? Or do we do something again? Yeah. So with my approval on the investments, right, I've got to review the investments and look at it. Um, yeah, we can go into just about anything, real estate, crypto, business ventures, grounds of development. We've done it all. Um, yeah. And as far as the timing of it, uh, there are 10 year uh, note terms. And at the end of 10 mm-hmm. years, there's a balloon payment due, but you can like refinance and renew it for another 10 years and keep kind of pushing that out. Most of our clients will just live off the interest payments and then just slowly receive um, capital over a period of time. They might mm-hmm. do principal and interest or maybe just interest payments. If you get interest, it's just 1099 ordinary income. If you dip into principal, it's cap gains tax. And but every 10 years mm-hmm. you can renew for 10 years and kick down the kick it, you know, keep keep kind of kicking the time frame down. Then you can have it inside of a living trust and your children can step into your shoes. And they can continue the tax deferral as well, which is one of the downsides to this. A 1031 exchange maintains a stepped-up basis, mm-hmm. right? So uh, whereas upon your death, the, your children can can basically sell it at fair market value and have zero capital gains tax. However, you know that depends on if you want to wait till you die to get that advantage, and if that's even still around by the time you die. Who knows where that's going to be? Yeah. Just, you know, in the future. The other point too that the deferred sales trust is pretty cool on is we can we can get a new depreciation schedule, right? Whereas um, during your lifetime, by partnering with the trust, you can get up to 80% of the depreciation schedule when you're an active owner of that asset, which is pretty cool. Um, And the other aspect would be the ability uh, to get funds outside your taxable estate. So there's a 40% death tax, Charles, that's that's really important to, to understand that if you're worth more than 24 million married, 12 million single, 
anything inside of your taxable estate is subject to a 40% debt tax. So the solution to this, one of them for us, we think it's the best is to just upon sale, just get it into what's called the DST 2.0, the DST plus and get it outside your taxable estate. So that not only that amount, but all of the growth between now and the time that you pass is outside your taxable estate, which eliminates that 40% debt tax. So that's a powerful thing that the 1031 exchange blockbuster just doesn't even doesn't even really address because it can't really do anything for that. Whereas the Netflix deferred sales trust can solve that. So if say there's a million dollars of gains, I want to invest half a million of it or whatever it is. And I want to take out $50,000 of capital every year. So obviously that's going to be a minimal hit, right? A few thousand dollars I'm going to be paying every year on that to get that money out. And I can do that over that time instead of getting hit with a one-time like you, you know, capital gains up front. Now, is that how a lot of people work it with you or do a lot of people so they get some money out or do you see it where people are putting it? I mean, the majority they're leaving it in there as riding out this tax-free kind of shelter. I mean, how do you see it? Good question. It's a different strategy, right? For different yeah. people and things change, right? So first of all, who qualifies? You need to have a million dollar net proceeds and a million dollar gain per transaction, mm -hmm. unless you have two at $500,000 each. So you could have like 500,000 of crypto and a $500,000 rental house, right? Mm -hmm. It has you know the gain and the proceeds equal a million together. So yeah, as far as the payments, it just kind of depends. So some of our clients, like for example, the one in Florida, she's going to delay the payment of the trust for a couple of years because she's staying on and still working that business as a part of mm -hmm. her earnout. So her income is going to actually stay pretty high. And then when she retires and gets even bigger amounts or retires from the, from that company, she's going to turn the trust income on. So oh. it's kind of like a spigot, if you will, for DST 1.0. 2.0 is a little more rigid meaning once you turn it on, it doesn't stop and you can delay it for a couple of years. So what we look at this, like it's like in a Rubik's cube, everyone shows up to us with like different mm -hmm. challenges and different goals. And what we like to say is we're gonna do some tax flow planning and some cash flow planning. We're gonna look at what you're trying to achieve. And together we're gonna to move this Rubik's cube. If you can see this, if you're just listening to it on, 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 on audio, I'm moving a cube around with different colors on. It. And ideally when we move it around enough with your CPA and with the financial advisor and our team, right, tax team, it's going to be as congruent as it can be for your goals. And there's really two things that people work through, Charles. There's pain and there's purpose, right? And the question is, what's the pain you're going through to, to want to sell your asset? Mm -hmm. and what's the purpose for your, for your wealth when you could achieve some tax deferral? And how does the deferred sales trust in that context of what you're trying to achieve uh, solve those challenges, right? And so, and that could be location freedom, that could be time freedom, that could be energy freedom, that could be entrepreneurial freedom, that could be financial freedom, right? That could be just timing the market when it makes sense freedom. And nothing that we know of can give all of those except for the deferred sales trust. Um, and so that's why we, we love it. And so that, which goes into your point. So some people might want some cash flow now immediately mm. and just live off the interest payments. Some might want to delay that for a couple of years, right? So it just accrues like an IRA and, and it accrues, it defers the income tax and the capital gains tax. And so it's a very elegant, efficient mm -hmm. way to build wealth. Oh, it's uh, it's great. The So give me, you said the 1031 has a step of basis, the DST doesn't. What are some other, I guess we'd say drawbacks that you would see of the DST when people are comparing different solutions for tax deferral? Yeah. So the 1031 exchanges is a commodity at this point. There's, you know, over 5,000 QI companies. You can get mm -hmm. it done for about yeah. thousand to $1,500. Right. And it's a one-time fee. Now they get interest on the carry for that period of time, but it's just simple. 
it's like hiring a real estate agent. They're in your life. You list it, you sell it, and they're out within six to 12 months. Whereas the deferred sales trust, it's an ongoing relationship. Mm -hmm. It's long-term. It's typically lifetime. And it's also even with your kids. Yeah. And so it's the relationship with the trustee, me, right? The relationship with the financial advisor that you're, that, that's a part of the case, relationship with the tax attorney. It's an ongoing wealth uh, you know, plan that that you're, you know, it's going to be long-term, which means there's ongoing fees, right? Recurring fees. Fees are about one and a half to 2% on the AUM. So if it's mm -hmm. a million dollar deal, it's about 15 to 20,000 per year that the trust is paying the trustee and the financial advisor and the expenses. There's a one-time setup fee of about 15,000 on a million dollar gross sale price of a deal that goes to the tax during because lifetime audit defense. So you got to get comfortable with me, the trustee, you got to get comfortable with the, with the structure, um, and you want to know that you have to understand that it's, it is third party. Like I'm not related to the people that are doing the deals for my deals. Right. Yeah. Um, and we've got to work together. So it's just getting comfortable with that. And those are the main ones. Right. So besides, besides that, unless your deal is too small, like mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of tax, that's what, that's why we have our minimums. Then we'll say it's just too small. Just, we, we just suggest you pay your tax or maybe you get some cost seg bonus depreciation on a deal if you want or, or or an opportunity zone if you could tie it up for 10 years. Yeah. Um, but but honestly, Charles, like once you have time to spend with us, get comfortable with who we are, what we do, we have a very high closing ratio. Awesome. The um when you're when you're uh putting these together, because obviously there has to be separation between the person with that has gonna have the capital gains and everything, or it's gonna be, you know, you guys are gonna find yourself in in issues there with the IRS. But um what do you find time frame is the best if I'm planning on and when I'm listing a property, when I'm listing a business, is that when someone reaches out to you or when it's like, Hey, holy crap, Brad, I, you know, uh, we're going to sell, we're selling this thing next week. You know yeah, what I mean? what's, what's the best strategy for timing your deferred sales trust transaction? The answer is it's early, be as early yeah. as you can be. Why? Because there's no downside to being early. In fact, we work on a conditional basis. So we will set everything up. We will review your deal. We will strategize with you for different options. If for whatever reason your deal doesn't close or for whatever reason you decide not to use the deferred sales trust, you owe us zero. However, you can be too late. And too late is either the buyer has removed all contingencies for anything that's not investment real estate, if it's investment real estate, then we can we can also move to a qualified intermediary to give you that option on day 45 or basically day, day 180 of your exchange. Um, but if it's anything else that you're selling, you got to do this before the buyer moves all contingencies. So we always say, now, now's a great time to learn. In fact, we have, we, have, we have tools for you right now. You can go to our free mastermind every Friday to start learning about it. You can look for our new book that's coming out to Amazon, Building a Tax Deferred Exit Strategy to learn more about it. Uh, you can get our free ebook. And so educate yourself now, get your CPA and financial advisor mm -hmm. and all the people that you're going to want the blessing from, right? Get them on here now, right? And then when you want to exit, hire the best real estate agent or m &A advisor, business broker to exit the asset working with us. We also provide those as well. If you don't have those, we have some of the, we have, I think we have some of the best in the country that we partner with. And then we just structure the deferred sales trust into that transaction. So it's seamless upon exit. Mm -hmm. And just to confirm, when someone's getting into this process with you or after they, they don't have to tell you exactly where this money is going to go, correct? They can figure that out once it's in the DST and then I can start, go to the next step of what I'm doing and figure out where I'm going to invest this or, you know, 
Yeah, there's no rush to have to have okay. to put the money anywhere. In fact, I had clients, okay. I still do, who've closed deals and the money's just sitting in the bank and we're waiting for mm -hmm. a period of time to dollar cost average into different investment opportunities. Oh, nice. Right. Okay. And so that's the beauty of optimal timing. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of just, you know, I guess peaceful investment planning. Although we're gonna have a initial blueprint before we close because we never like money just sitting around. Yeah. You know, money that's sleeping is is lazy money, and we don't want that. We want it earning some kind of interest, but we're never going to force anything. They still have to approve of the timing and of the investment. Yeah, that's the one downfall of the ten thirty one. You're like, oh, I'm selling at the top of the market, but now I have to buy at the top of the market. So it's um, you know, it just uh, it's tough, especially if someone's retiring and they're like, oh, I don't want to actively manage real estate anymore or anything like this. Well, I mean, your hands kind of really get tied in that situation. Uh, because it's it's difficult to go the passive route from the active route. Um, so great. Uh, thanks, Brett. One one other thing I had just as we're uh, closing up here, just on a personal note for you and professionally, you've been through a lot of ups and downs in your career. And I always like to ask our guests, uh, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success over your professional career and also with your personal life maybe as well? Yeah, faith, family, and um, kind of a commitment to to excellence, to be honest, those are kind of the three things starts with faith, my belief in God, and then God giving me gifts and giving me the belief in myself. Um, and then family to support and help me, my wife to, uh, be my, my partner in life and, and everything else. Um, and, and then just commitment to excellence, being around people who, who help me to level up, whether it be basketball coaches in high school or football coaches in high school or in college for basketball, you know, youth pastors, uh, my parents, my older brother, I mean, on and on and on. I've just had amazing people in my life. Um, but I've also been really coachable and open and believing that if they can do it, then I can do it. And, uh, and, and I like to say I'm the tortoise, not the hare, uh, it takes me a little <laughs> while, but once I, once I get something, I, I tend to just, uh, want to take it to, um, to excellence. Right. And so those would be my main factors. I would say Charles for sure. Awesome. So Brett, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? You go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. You can also search Capital Gains Tax Solutions on YouTube, our YouTube channel, um, on iTunes as well. I also have a podcast and a channel called Expert mm -hmm. CRE Secrets. Of course, look out for the book that's coming out, Building a Tax for Exit Strategy. It's the proven playbook for unlocking your ideal wealth plan when selling assets of any kind for yourself or your clients. I'm also EXP multifamily broker. We're building out the what, what, what we're focused on is called EXP Mastery, or basically the best of the best in luxury real estate, commercial real estate, multifamily brokerage. And we're combining the DST as the solution, the keystone solution to help clients. So you can also check us out, expmastery.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on again, Brett. And uh, I will make sure to have all those uh, links into the show notes and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode.
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.